from the I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more from just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see McKinneyCompetitions.com. We had a desire to learn, I think, and we were just excited at the possibilities of what we were doing, you know, and that we just enjoyed it. I think that was one of the keys. But also we had an incentive to do what we do because we had a family to provide for and yeah. a child that needed some care. So really, we worked very, very hard. You need a rainforest to grow chocolate, so if they're cutting down yeah. the rainforest for cattle, then you're deforesting the environment and things like that. So they don't want to do that. The simple way for us to help the chocolate industry as a whole is just to pay the farmers a living wage. Uh, so after it's been roasted, the next step is breaking. So we used to use a rolling pin for this in a pillowcase, just to, nice. smash, to, smash, to <laughs> smash the beans. And then we used to use a hairdryer to kind of blow the beans and get all the shells off. She's hired about 130, 135 females to work on her farm. So there is males that work there, but predominantly it's female. And then with the profits she's made from selling cocoa beans at a slightly higher price, she's built a school. And that's the way the, wow. kid, that's the, way the kids can go to school while the women are at work. They were asked to draw a picture of their family home. So of course he drew a family home. And beside it was a chocolate factory. And the, the teachers in the other school didn't know who he was. And they said, you know, you have to draw your home. And he said, yeah, I am. But there's a chocolate factory said, beside you're... my home. said, there's no chocolate factory. That was the voice of Shane Neary, owner of Neary Nogs Stone Ground Chocolate Makers. This is your host, Elaine Ingram. And for this week's podcast, having received a gift of some of their delicious chocolate for Christmas, I was curious about the small artisan business and arranged to meet Shane at their factory nestled at the foot of the Mourns, where Shane tells us all about how Northern Ireland's first bean-to-bar chocolate is made and where it all began and the fascinating um, Neary family story. I'm here nestled in the middle of the Mourns, just outside Neary, um, nestled in the Mourn Mountains in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> well, yes, yes, how you Neary Nogs and yes. with Shane, um, the owner of, of Neary Nogs. And I didn't even know this place existed. So you're going to have to tell me, like, when did you start? When did you set up for starters? Yeah, so our, um, our business actually began about 10 years ago. It would be October 2011. Uh, really, whenever we first actually accidentally started the business, I should say. Um, it kind of evolved out of a fundraiser. Uh, a member of our family was traveling to India to do some charity work out there, it was our eldest daughter. And uh, so as part of the fundraiser, uh, my wife and her mother came up with this idea of using a family recipe for making chocolate fudge to help raise funds. So literally there was a, an open mic night for the fundraiser. My wife and her mother made the chocolate fudge uh, very spontaneously and took it to the fundraiser. I think they made about three or four hundred quid and uh, somebody at the fundraiser was getting married three months later so they said, hey that's really nice chocolate could you make that as a wedding favour for us? So then we started making wedding favours And this uh, is all from your home at the time? This is, so this is all from our home we were living in Uri at the time uh, and so we're, we're developing this hobby uh, out of our domestic kitchen at home um, so really it was a uh, not treated seriously as a business at the time but a catalyst for us was our uh, two-year-old daughter at the time but she wasn't quite well 
So we had to go to Daisy Hill Hospital every three weeks or so for blood transfusions and treatments and stuff. And eventually we had to go to Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. And so the doctors in Great Ormond Street sat us down and basically said that we'd have to do something flexible employment-wise for about 12 months because her treatment was quite hands-on, quite physical. Um, so we decided to sit down and work out how much chocolate we'd have to sell every week or every month to kind of pay the bills while she was getting her treatment. So really, uh, that 12-month plan changed into a 24-month plan, into a five-year plan, and then 10 years later, we're still going. So it just goes to show you, you just don't know what's coming. Uh, what did you do before that? <laughs> um, so really, uh, I've been doing all kinds of things, really. Uh, I have a degree in web design and graphic design, but I've also worked full-time as a postman. I've worked in factories and farms. Um, I think during the recession in 2010, 2009, uh, I was working for the National Trust as well, but I lost my job through because of the recession. So I think we've been kind of uh, improvising for a number of years anyway, up until starting the business. So we were in a position to do something different, I think. Um, and yes, I suppose you had nothing to lose at that stage. You, you know, you may as well have just gone for it. Well, that's it, you know, and I think whenever we started selling in craft fairs and uh, wedding favors and stuff like that, customers kept asking us, you know, how do you get chocolate without additives? You know, say Uncle Bob's diabetic or so-and-so is a celiac, they're gluten-free. How do you get chocolate without stuff in it? And so that really put us on a quest to try and find chocolate that was pure. This is what I was going to get to next because yeah. this isn't just any old ordinary old chocolate. You, no, it's you not. You go the whole hog here. Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a massive uh, deal with that. It's not just a small difference. It's a massive difference. It's very hard to source chocolate without additives into it. And we discovered that the hard way. Um, so we realized the only way we can actually make chocolate without soya, without lectins or emulsifiers or artificial sugars and stuff was really to do the whole hog and import cocoa beans and manufacture chocolate from scratch. And, and you're so, the only place in Northern. You're the only place in Northern Ireland that does this. Yeah, I think we're one of the oldest ones in Ireland, and we're the only place in Northern Ireland that does it that we're aware of. Um, so yeah, that's that's that. But really, we um, we wanted to cater to one in one in five customers who are really looking for this pure kind of chocolate. So that's would really that what, be for dietary reasons or just purely because people are sort a, of getting back to a more natural. I think it's both. I think it's a double-edged thing. I think some customers really have to have an alternative in order for them to enjoy chocolate. Yeah, um, like celiacs and things like that, yeah. It's quite it's quite a large number, larger than what I thought it was going to be. People that are allergic to nuts, people that are allergic to soya, people that are allergic to gluten, they're allergic to dairy, or they're diabetic and they don't want to have artificial sugars or added too many added sugars and things like that. So really, from a nutritional point of view, there's definitely a market out there for that. And also for people that are into healthy eating. Because most of the cocoa that you eat on the mainstream market is highly processed and it's not actually proper cocoa anymore. It's actually had a lot of the health benefits removed. So trying to source healthy chocolate or healthy cocoa is very hard to do because there's not many companies that are willing to invest the time and the money in actually making healthy chocolate. You So you import the cocoa beans? So we do. So we import. So we started trying to buy our first kilo of cocoa beans in 2011. Uh, and we found it very hard to even buy a kilo because most companies told us you can't do that. You know, it's too they hard to do. probably work in huge, you know, oh, for massive, it to be viable, you know, massive. financially, it probably has to be in vast. Yeah, and there's a reason. That, uh, coffee has about 11 steps in the process whenever you're making a cup of coffee from the coffee bean. Uh, whereas chocolate has 26 steps, so there's more than twice the work. So most of these companies are saying, you guys can't make chocolate. You just have a domestic kitchen, blah, blah, blah. But eventually we found someone who would sell us a kilo of cocoa beans. 
and we bought with a credit card our first chocolate making equipment and that really set us on the path then to making our first bean to bar chocolate it was called bean where to bar where did they get the sorry yeah, sorry i just wonder where where did you get that first batch that's a good question um i think it was just on like the home chocolate factory website or one of these uh, more specialist websites more independent chocolate websites that were able to sell us a kilo so we did we did find somebody that's a good question i'll have to chase that but no we, you don't worry about it <laughs> but anyways so that led us on the path and in our domestic kitchen we were making this chocolate and the whole kitchen smelled like brownies but when we first got the co- cocoa beans in through the post you know chocolate is a fruit and most people don't really associate chocolate, chocolate with being, is a fruit most people don't associate chocolate with being a fruit we're used to seeing it as a you know willy wonka style packaging yeah. with a chocolate bar on the shelf but we don't realize actually it's come from a farm it's a plant-based product it's come from the seed of the cocoa pod so um we do have some uh, uh lifestyle replicas over there which you can't see in the radio but they're basically the cocoa pod is like a bright yellow or red uh, or green even fruit and it's about the size of a small rugby ball and then inside that you would have all these beans or seeds and that's where your chocolate comes from so really it's uh, there's about maybe 40 to 60 seeds per pod and that's really where all your chocolate comes from so it is a fruit based product and right. it has different flavors depending on what country it grows in just it's like one of your five a day then it, it could, yeah, <laughs> listen, uh, we've heard that before but actually it's not that far from the truth if yeah. you have uh, good quality chocolate it has a lot of health benefits to it there's lots of natural reasons why you should eat proper chocolate uh, compared to um, mainstream badly processed chocolate. You do see in the supermarkets when they have those bars of chocolates that say like 80% co- co- cocoa bean yeah. and all that kind of thing. Are there is, But they're still not. Well, it depends on the company, really. It, it all really depends on the process. Um, I think that one of the things that is debatable in the craft chocolate world, which is what we're doing is craft chocolate, is how to differentiate what we're doing compared to mainstream chocolate. Uh, and really... Um, that that's a standard that's yet to be established um, a lot of the big companies don't have to volunteer for fair trade anymore they're legally not obliged to so some of them have chosen not to be fair trade so really there's a lack of accountability for some of the bigger companies but to answer your question you can get 80% chocolate on the shelf that can be quite good for you and sometimes you can get 80% which is just not processed right and the quality of cocoa might not be as good as say some other companies So, but really it's a case by case scenario I think well, you do um, invest in fair trade, yeah? Yes, so all our cocoa beans, we put a lot of energy into where we source our cocoa beans from. So we do um, source uh, cocoa very transparently. So if there's any certification that's required, then we can provide all the certificates uh, and all the paperwork to prove how it's been sourced. And wh- where is, is it sourced these days? So we use... Um, a couple of companies uh we, there is a one way direct trade is a way to do it where you buy directly from the farmer but usually the shipping costs are quite expensive i was going to say if you're doing that it would be very expensive yeah, yeah. so you have to be importing a couple of hundred tons at a time but we're not big enough for that so we use a broker uh, a european broker there's one in belgium and there's one in uh, the netherlands that we would use to import cocoa beans uh, so basically we've done a lot of homework into that to make sure that they are uh, who they say they are and they can provide all the evidence and that that way we actually know who the farmers are we know their names we know their stories we know what else they do on the farms because a lot of these farmers are very conscientious and they invest in their local communities or they invest in the environment uh, to preserve the rainforests or the the chocolate industry as a whole but we would pay five to ten euros a kilo whereas big business would usually pay about one euro a kilo so we do pay a lot more for our cocoa beans uh, but that just pays the farmer a living wage because yeah. if they don't get paid on time 
what can actually happen then is they start actually changing what they do. They take down their cocoa plantations for cattle or beef because they know they're going to get paid. But as a, a tip touched on there, you need a rainforest to grow chocolate. So if they're cutting down yeah. the rainforest for cattle, then you're deforesting the environment and things like that. So they don't want to do that. The simple way for us to help the chocolate industry as a whole is just to pay the farmers a living wage. So our chocolate's a bit more expensive, but it's because we're paying more for the raw product. Yeah. So uh, we would source cocoa beans from, say, Ecuador, Peru, uh, I think at the minute we've some Mexico that's just arrived, Nicaragua, Central America, India. Togo would be one of the main countries that we import a lot from. For our, our main stock would be Togo, and Togo is a country I'd never heard of before. I, I've heard. No, I haven't. I'm thinking of Tongo. Yes, yes <laughs> no. so Tongo's different. But um, Togo would be a, sli- it's a tiny slither of a country in West Africa. Uh, it's a French-speaking country. And uh, that would be one of our main uh, base chocolates that we would import. And did you just come across there? Um, so basically, her uh, her name's Abra, so she's the local farmer. So her listing came up on through our, our Belgian supplier of cocoa beans. And uh, she had a very good story. Uh, and she was, What's her story? So basically, she is, if you're in Togo and you're female, you're actually treated as a second-class citizen unless you've got an employment. So, right. if you're, so if you have employment, you're almost dramatically treated as an equal. So she is a local woman who owns this farm, so she's not an outside investor. So she's a local person who's grown up there, bought the farm, owns it, uh, so therefore her feet are on the ground in that way. She's hired about 130, 135 females to work on her farm. So there is males that work there, but predominantly it's female. And then with the profits she's made from selling cocoa beans at a slightly higher price, she's built a school. And that's the way the wow. kid, that's the way the kids can go to school while the women are at work. It's a very unusual sort of um, that's a, that's an unusual sort of a thing. You know, you think in a country where women are treated as second class citizens, you think that generally they don't want them out working. You know what I mean? It's, I know it's 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 a funny one. I think it just goes to show you that the world is a weird place. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. Uh, is it a dictatorship or what? What is it rule? I don't is actually it? know much yeah. about. I don't know much more of the politics than I that. To look, be honest, look into that place. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's so that's Togo. Uh, so really they do a very good job they make us uh, some very good cocoa beans to work with and so in return we've reserved about six tons of their cocoa beans for for this year coming so um, so we're excited to work with them but a lot of the origins that we use they would either have uh, other projects that they would do to benefit the community and if there is climate change coming uh, you know there's all the talk about cop 26 in the news recently yeah all the talk is about being carbon uh, neutral, neutral. Yeah. but actually there's a better method called carbon negative. So carbon neutral is a bit more friendly for the big businesses because they just stop emitting uh, carbon. But carbon negative is better. It's actually to do with farming. That's where you grow like a biodiversity of crops on your farm. So you have like say, these guys grow cocoa beans. They would grow coffee, avocados, vegetables, and they rotate it on their plot of land. And that just creates a, a diversity of crop. And it takes more carbon out of the atmosphere and puts it back in the soil where it's okay. he- where it's held. It's held in the soil then. Um, so that actually reverses. Avocado is quite a controversial one in terms of us, you know, eating it and bringing it over here. I know it's, it's been in the news I a know, lot. You know, I know, we all it's, love our avocado, but uh, yeah, there's there's a, there's a whole lot of ideas of how we can cut down our carbon emissions. But really, what we're trying to do is trying to find the best way of life where we can give the farmers their money, so they can preserve their way of life while not polluting the environment. You know, 
I don't know whether extremes are ever the answer. You know, whether we stop importing from everywhere just yeah. to cut down carbon, but then there's a knock-on effect from that. You know, how do we source then all the food that we need? You know, there's there's a we're yeah. all connected, but how do we do it more effectively? I suppose. Yeah, there's all that's the eternal question, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, yeah it's so like the, anything. Extremes are never usually the answer, so it's trying to find how we can do what we do already, but just better. Yeah. Get ready to shake up summer with the Get Active ABC Sunshine Fill Programme for kids and families. Get set for land-based adventure at our summer schemes, or why not get adventurous and maybe get wet at our Splashtastic Water Sports Summer Programme. There are so many things to do, and all we need is you. See getactiveabc.com summer for all the details. So, back to your kitchen. Yes. So you're still in your kitchen. <laughs> so, so we're kind and of. And now we're not in the kitchen now. As you can see, we're uh, yes. definitely. So I think about 2013, 2014, we decided to move out of our domestic kitchen because we have a large family. Uh, we have 12 kids all together. And, 12 kids. Okay, uh, here I want to hear, but <laughs> I want to hear a bit about this <laughs> before so, you go on. Yeah. So at the time, 2011, I think we had nine kids. That is really uh, unusual. Uh, yeah. So, if you don't mind me saying, you look very young to have twelve kids. Yeah, so does my wife. You know, we joke and say it must be the chocolate, you know. Um, <laughs> but no, it's uh, so that's just where we were at, and so we had to get it out of the kitchen because obviously you can't run a chocolate business in your kitchen when you've got a huge family. Um, I so, don't know how you can run anything in your kitchen when you've got no, a huge family. No, probably not. So it was it was kind of a it was a pretty easy decision to make to get it out of the kitchen. Uh, although at the same time when you're running a small business it's a big jump to go from a small kitchen to hiring an industrial unit where you're paying rent every month and you're commuting back and forth to work and you have to kit it all out on a shoestring and, and who was doing the, the cooking by the way was it your wife I know you said it was a family recipe of the chocolate so was it, it was your, a family your side recipe. of the family I, or hers I, it was my wife's side of the family is she is, she's, is she a good cook she's very good yeah. um, but she would be our chief crafter so Dorothy would be the creative uh, force behind creating new products in the business so she would be the main crafter and then um, I kind of help steer the ship so it's well it's good that the two of you have both got different skill sets there I, I think so and I think we're kind of learning our skill sets at the same time because yeah. you know all the training in the world doesn't always prepare you for everything especially pandemics and all these other things you know so oh, you, yeah. you certainly evolve your skill set one way or the other and if you can't do it then you have to outsource and find people that can help you in certain areas so really it's a team building exercise at the same time that's the way small businesses work and evolve you know yeah yeah so i think at the time uh, back to 2014 or 2013 we did decide to take the plunge and rent an industrial unit out in flurry bridge enterprise park near jonesborough it's not far from the Carrickdale hotel so there's a few other businesses there so we rented there for about maybe three or four years coming up to 2018 we decided to buy a place so we took a bit of jump and we bought we found this property which was uh, an old potato farm. It had a few farm buildings out back, uh, which were listed commercially, and then it had a, a big house beside it, which we could integrate together. So we we took a big jump again, and we bought this place. It's amazing. I mean, the views and everything around here are just stunning. Like, yeah. you really are. We do live in, in the a, middle of. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. We can see the Carlingford Lock. You can see the Cooley Mountains, the Mourne Mountains. You can see Greencastle, uh, the Cranfield uh, Lighthouse there. We've got tremendous views of the Nguyen Morn area. Um, so we're very fortunate to be here. And I think as a way, because we're out of the city, we're a bit more semi-rural, 
that we kind of have to attract people to us from a retail yeah. perspective. Uh, we've always been a wholesale business. Um, so we've always sourced shops and supplied shops and things like that. But now we're trying to branch out into retail. COVID kind of forced that in a way because we had to go online completely yeah. uh, to sell chocolate. Your website is very good. It's very comprehensive. Thank you. Yeah. And so now we're trying to open ourselves up to the public again because that's really what we want to do because what we do is so niche and so different. We have to explain a lot of the stuff that we do. So we have tours here that people can book through our website. So we open for tours at the minute on Wednesday, Friday and Saturdays. So people could come in and we can walk them through the whole process of chocolate making and explain all the difference between what we do compared to mainstream chocolate and all the benefits of doing it this way. And then there's a tasting session at the end where you can try chocolate from all different countries around the world and you can taste and sample the differences. Yeah. So what is the process? I mean, you don't, you know, just give us a, give us a, a, an idea of yep. that way. So you get the, we, we've, we've got as far as getting the beans. Sure. Uh, so basically once you've sourced the beans, that's, the hard work in some ways trying to make sure that what you're investing into is a long-term uh, ethical choice as well as a, a good quality choice once we receive the beans we have to hand sort through all the beans because sometimes you get foreign objects in there which aren't chocolate like stones which would damage your machines you get sticks you can also get the big the biggest object we found once was a knife we found a 12 inch blade once in one of the bags from panama okay so you do get quite some quite uh, interesting stuff um do you get insects or anything like that? We do. do, you get, do you, you need to... Sorry, I'm interrupting you again. Right. I just came just came into my head there. Do you need to, because you're importing like food stuff, does it have to go through a lot of Well, customs is usually straightforward. Because we're using a European broker, they would do a lot of that initial importing from all the different countries to certify it all, to make sure it goes through customs, to make sure it's all checked. Has it been affected by Brexit? Brexit initially affected, affected us this time last year. Um, normally it takes two weeks for our cocoa bean supply to arrive after we order it uh, initially after Brexit it took five to six weeks so it was travel the, the time but that was initially just to do with us using the UK as a port of import either through the mainland of Belfast or whatever so we just bypassed that altogether and then we just used Dublin Okay, which so, seems to be a bit of an issue for Northern Ireland right now. Like a lot of yeah, companies so, are having to do that, but that's yeah, but that that is do. what it is, you know. And we were talking to Channel Four one time about that, about how we have to use Dublin now for most of our stuff because it's just simpler. There's yeah. less paperwork, and sometimes some of the companies in England don't actually want the ship to Northern Ireland anymore. Yeah, which is uh, is too bad, really. Yeah, but um, it is what it is. It is what it do. is, and you just have to you know make lemonade out of lemons and make it work. So that's what we do. So once we've imported the beans. We have to ha go through them all to make sure there's no foreign objects in there. Then we have to roast or cook the, the cocoa beans. So when it, before you roast and cook them, there's quite a fermented smell because it is a plant-based product. So once you've roasted them, then it, they start to smell like brownies. So there's a huge change in the aroma of the, the cocoa beans after you roast them. Um, so once you've roasted them at the right temperature, a, lo a lower temperature would probably make it more of an ara floral kind of a flavor for your chocolate. And if you roast it at a slightly higher temperature, it makes it more of a caramel kind of flavor. So there is way, different ways of cooking the chocolate to make it uh, have different flavor notes. Uh, so after it's been roasted, the next step is breaking. So we used to use a rolling pin for this in a pillowcase, just to right. smash, smash, to smash <laughs> the beans. And then we used to use a hairdryer to kind of blow the beans and get all the shells off. Uh, and once you remove the shell, you're left with the, the chocolatey part. It's called the cocoa nib. Uh, but now we have a machine that does that. So it's called a, a breaker slash winnower. So winnowing is something they use in wheat and barley. Basically, you've got like a wind tunnel blowing over the plant product and all the light stuff gets blown off. And you're left with the heavy part that you're using 
uh, for production. So we put our roasted beans into the breaker and the winnower. So it's just a glorified rolling pin and hairdryer. And it, <laughs> it separates the, the shell from the cocoa nib. And the shell is actually a, a product that we can use as well. So there's not really any waste. So we can use the shell for one of three things. Uh, it can be used as a fertilizer or plant growth product because it's full of nitrogen. Uh, the second thing is it can be used for a loose leaf tea, like a cocoa tea. So that's like a chocolatey, nutty kind of tea. So it's quite nice. Uh, the third thing is uh, more adult friendly. It's a, you can use it to make alcohol. So you get bigger company, really? bigger companies like Hotel Chocolat. They already do it. So they're using their uh, shells to make like a cocoa gin or cocoa vodka. You can also use it to make like a chocolate stout, chocolate stout in a brewery. So we've been talking to a few distilleries and breweries about doing something like that, but just you know, it's fine at the time to do it all. You're using every single bit. But you're of using the every plant, single bit. Yeah. And there's discussions about making a, a body scrub or face scrub with the shells, you know, in future. So who knows? The but really the cocoa nib is uh, what's after the shell. That's really the chocolatey bit that's inside the seed, and that's what we're looking for to make our chocolate products. So either you sell the cocoa, cocoa nib as a product. It's good as an inclusion and it's very healthy, uh, but mostly we would process it a stage further. Um, what you're doing is like a, a pestle and mortar with your cooker nibs. Yeah. Uh, but there's a machine that does that called the melanger or a grinder. Uh, basically, it's a granite mill and it grinds your cooker nibs into like a chocolate liquor or a chocolate paste. And so after about 12 to 24 hours, you've got a, a usable chocolate liquor that's quite fine and refined. Uh, but if we really want a high quality chocolate that's like for one of the high end clients we would put it in there for about 70 hours so you've got this machine that's running for 24 up to 70 hours so it's quite that's the longest part of the process at the minute for us and it's expensive I'm sure to run that machinery for that length of it's, time it's kitted out to run uh, at, uh, for long periods yeah. but yes compared to some other production processes it could be quite expensive but you know it's uh, it's geared up for long-term use, so yeah. it's quite a simple machine, very easy to maintain. It's not high-tech, so it's uh, it's thankfully not too expensive. Yeah, um, and you don't need to worry about parts or anything like that. To you don't need to worry about parts too much because it's very easy to maintain. Um, I think to compare with big business, big business, big business would do the grinding process for about eight hours. Uh, and I don't want to get too technical, but really, when you've got a plant-based product, you've got acid in it, and that's what makes your chocolate bitter. Yeah. So the longer you grind the chocolate for, it releases more of the acid. So you can, if you leave it in there for longer, you've got a very fine, mellow chocolate that even if you had 100% chocolate, it doesn't have to be bitter. It'll be strong like a black coffee, but uh, it won't be as bitter as some of the high street brands. Yeah. So once the grinding process is finished, you've got a smooth uh, chocolate, which we pour into stainless steel containers to harden and set. And that basically makes these concrete, or not concrete, they're like concrete, chocolate slabs, which are quite heavy. They're about eight kilos each. Wow. Uh, so it's one, very condensed then, yeah. It can be quite condensed. So each of our grinders does about 30 kilos at a time, and we store them in 8-kilo blocks. And we try and age our chocolate for about 30 days. So we let it store for about 30 days. Uh, because it's a plant-based product, you can age it, and that just makes the, the flavors even more mellow and established. And then the next step after that, if you, if you can follow me, is that we break up those blocks, and we melt them down again, and we temper them. And tempering is... a in the world of chocolate is a newer process because uh, eating chocolate has only been around for a few hundred years before that, that before that it was all drinking chocolate oh. um, so tempered chocolate is basically you might have seen these chefs on TV they've got like liquid chocolate and spatulas and they're sloshing it around the table back yeah. and forth and basically what they're doing is they're heating and cooling the chocolate so that makes your chocolate glossy and it gives it like that shine and sheen yeah. and it gives it that snap whenever you break it 
and it can also increase the shelf life a little bit and make it smoother. So it's tempering is important because if you don't temper your chocolate, it has all these like white spots all over your chocolate. I've seen them, yeah. And that's cocoa butter. It's oh. not it's not bacteria like bread or it's called bloom. So basically, the white spots are cocoa butter. And just from a retail point of view, that happens if you leave it in the fridge too, does it? It Sometimes. can do. Uh, we find that humidity or water and chocolate are like enemies, so we try to encourage not to put chocolate in the fridge because the humidity of the fridge can sometimes damage the chocolate. I know this from making Rice Krispies. Yeah. They always say, do not melt the chocolate in a pot. Do not let any water get into it. Yeah. Water (laughs) just destroys it. Yeah. Um, But dairy, we find that chocolate doesn't really have a shelf life. We've had chocolate that's 15 years old and it's fine. It just depends on what other products are in the chocolate. You can have dairy and chocolate and it actually shortens the shelf life considerably. So usually it's whatever's with the chocolate dictates the shelf life as opposed to just the chocolate itself. So tempering is the final stage of our chocolate production, really, bar, bar packaging, uh, just because that helps us create the finished products. And because you're creating this chocolate that is glossy and shiny, it's got that snap, it actually has a more of a strength to it so it can hold the shape, like I say, a Santa Claus or a Christmas tree shape or any other shapes that you want to make. Yeah. So that's where you get the creative part of the business. And that's where you start to see bars and you know chocolate cups, Easter eggs, all the more familiar things that we see in chocolate is that at the tempering stage. Nice. So that's that really pretty how, much. That's how you make chocolate. Before, that before sounds packaging. so complicated. Yeah, it can be quite technical, and I think we've made a lot of mistakes along the way. But I think we've. Well, if you didn't make a lot of mistakes along the way, I'd be very surprised with the amount of you know things that that has you know that that has to go through. You must have taken yeah. an awful lot of learning, you know, and research and everything to know Definitely. to find out because you're not even from a background. Of, no, we're not, and I think. Um, it's so scientific as well like it's not even it can be quite sciencey and a lot of it has to do with just i think we had a desire to learn i think and we were just excited at the possibilities of what we were doing you know and that we just enjoyed it i think that was one of the keys but also we had an incentive to do what we do because we had a family to provide for and a child that needed some care so really we worked very very hard and i don't think we're motivated by stress really we're motivated by uh, just a desire to kind of uh, make it work. Yeah. And we saw the excitement of doing what we're doing and pioneering something different, you know. And the packaging then, who designs? Because they're lovely. They're so, you know, bespoke. And it, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be Dorothy and myself. I'm from a design background and she would yeah, be... Yeah, that's right. You said you were She's, she's an artistic guy as well. So it'd be both of us, really. Uh, we've both kind of decided what the packaging would look like and develop it that way. Uh, we wanted to keep something simple. Something yeah. that wasn't too... Uh, Overcomplicated, but something or shiny and bright yeah. and sparkly. Yeah, it's, but it all that, looks very natural. Yeah, something exactly that's the word there. Something that looked natural but still could be high end. So that's kind of what we went for. Uh, so it's been we've had so many different designs that we've thrown out over the years. We've just kind of evolved over the years, and now we're starting to get into pre-printed stuff uh, just to save time, uh, which is an investment itself. But you know, it's that's that's where you have to go. I think, and you're in the manufacturing world. How many people do you employ here? Um, well, initially it was myself and Dorothy, and I think now we have roughly around seven or eight people. Yeah. Um, and you manage to get all this. How many, uh, do you have a lot of supplier, people that you supply to? Or is it, would you supply to like hotels and that type of thing? Or is it? So we do, we do supply to chefs and restaurants for them to, to make desserts. Uh, we also supply to lots of delis, high-end independents, coffee shops. Well, do you really make desserts from your lovely... It, it seems like you've done so much that it just should be sell, sold as is rather than needing to actually 
complicated yeah. further and make but, desserts. Exactly. So because we're, we've, we're making the chocolate and every step of the process, really, you've got a potential product. So really, we can uh, exit the chocolate or the cocoa oh, yeah. at each step along the way to make a very different kind of product. So for the chefs, you know, they would sometimes want some tempered buttons, some buttons of chocolate, or they would want a big slab of chocolate for what they're making. So really, there's we can cater for all kinds of marketplaces, really. And then we sell you know, online as well, which is great from uh, able, being able to reach customers from all around the country because not all of them can drive down here. Uh, and then, yeah, we do wholesale in some places in England. We're starting to work with Avoca and uh, Brown Thomas in the south. Wow. And then we work with uh, Fortnum Mason in London. And we're starting to stock a few places in the States at the minute. So that's early early Are you going to be able to keep up with this? Uh, well, that's why we've got staff. Yeah, but it sounds like you <laughs> might need more. <laughs> but we're, you know, we're, we're, we're very realistic in that we know that we're a very small business. And uh, the potential is great, but we're still small. And you don't probably don't want to get too big because then it becomes something different. We want to be at the right size for what suits us, really. Yeah. And I think we'll know whenever we hit that point. Uh, I think that there's a demand for our products, which is great. Uh, and I think whenever we're dealing with some of the bigger companies to provide them with chocolate, we have to be honest and say, listen, we are small. We can only fit the demand to a limited degree. Yeah. You know, we can't say yes to orders of 20,000 or 50,000 items. We have to say, you know, we need to scale it back a bit. And it is possible for us to scale as a company by investing in other equipment and things like that without compromising the quality of what we do. So it is possible to scale what we do. Um, it's just a case of growing organically as opposed to just trying to jump ahead and yeah. do it all at once. And there is something, you know, things that are harder to come by and are more niche than, you know, that, that gives you a different sort of a market than if they if there was just out there. Yes, you know. definitely, definitely. So there is, what we're doing is quite niche. Uh, it's a different quality from most chocolate products out there. And, um, you know, we're, we're proud to say that, you know, our chocolate is as ethically sourced as we can make it. Yeah. And what about the name? Just tell me about, about how sure. you came up with the name. So our family name is Neary. Yeah. And at the start, we wanted to have a, like a family-oriented name when we were talking about names, uh, just to kind of connect the family to the business. And so we picked a story uh, that my dad used to write stories when we were kids about... Uh, a group of kids called the Neary Nogs. Right. Um, so the Nogs part uh, comes from the Gaelic word Tiernanog. Yeah. And Tiernanog is the land of the eternally young and the eternally youthful. So he had these stories he made up about a group called the Neary Nogs. They lived in like a Narnia kind of land and went on adventures and stuff. So we kind of just thought, oh, we'll just pick Neary Nogs. And then in the beginning it stuck and people kept asking about the name. Yeah. So we thought, well, that's obviously not a bad thing. So we just kept it and it just, it's still, still here with us 10 years later. Yeah. So, so it stayed. And what what age, just uh, talking about your family name there, you're talking about the family, at what age range are your kids? Um, so our youngest is five, um, and then our oldest would be, she'd be married with kids now, so she'd be in her, just turned 30 there. So Oh my God. Yeah, so there's, there's quite a stretch How many there. have you got in school at the moment? Um, so in school at the minute we have five in school, <laughs> five in school. In primary or in secondary? Uh, both. Wow. Are they all around locally? Uh, so our primary school kids would be in Killowen Primary School, which is right. just down the road. And then our teenager kids would be in Shimna College oh, in, right. in yeah, Newcastle yeah. there. So, uh, And then some of the ones would be in Tech in Uri, or else they'd be employed here or working elsewhere or whatever, you know. So, uh, 
Yeah. So, and and you were probably dying to get them back to, to school today because today was the first day back. <laughs> well, has actually, your been chaotic? Because one actually started Tuesday there, so ours will be back for a few days. And I think you know, uh, it was pretty hard to wake them up in the morning. You know, I don't think they were really ready for the the, the dark mornings oh, getting up again. I know. I can tell me. I can tell you all about it in my house too. Yeah. Yeah. So up, you know, but they're 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 a good bunch, you know, and um, I think. They're, they're glad with what we're doing here with the chocolate factory I think they found some well who wouldn't want to be able to go into school now and when they and I and I bet you anyone you know when they have like parents come to work day or anything yeah. everybody wants the chocolate factory maker to come in yeah. and give a talk so our one of our sons he had a funny story in primary school where he was doing an exchange with a, a neighborhood school I think it was maybe the Grange primary or whatever and had a call and uh, they were asked to draw a picture of their family home so of course he drew a family home and beside it was a chocolate factory and the, the teachers in the other school didn't know who he was and they said you know you have to draw your home and he said yeah I am but there's a chocolate yeah, factory beside my home said, there's no chocolate factory and I said no there is my mom and dad have a chocolate factory so the, uh, he was finding it hard to convince these other teachers that he lived beside a chocolate factory <laughs> that he wasn't making up stories exactly <laughs> so it's funny it's funny you know but uh, no I think they are quite quite proud and quite happy and uh think a lot of them would like to be more of a part of it you know but we'll just have to see how things go yeah i mean you can you don't need to employ any outsiders you can just employ all the family but then that could be that could lead there's to pros other and problems oh there's pros and cons you know you can write a book about that you know hiring family versus hiring people that you're not related to you know it just depends on who they are how you all work together as a team you know whether yeah. people would actually be happy working in this environment because it is a factory you know we are manufacturers so there's some places there's a bit of a grind you know it's a monotonous kind of scenario where you're doing the same yeah. thing every day but you know we're doing something different as well so that adds a bit of spice you know it adds a bit of flavor and a bit of a difference every day so um you know when a family clicks together it works really really well and sometimes family goes further than your average employee would but sometimes it's nice having a mix of people that you're not related to as well because then you can kind of just get on with stuff and not worry about politics and relationships yeah. and stuff you know so yeah there's a balance there so we're still figuring it out. Okay, well listen, thanks a million, Shane. Yes, and no worries, Elaine. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming down and seeing us. Not yeah. at all. It's yeah. lovely, really nice, and I'm really glad that I found you. Yes, I know. <laughs> we need to update our Google Maps, don't we? <laughs> thanks, Shane. Okay. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Shane. Um, learning all about how the chocolate is made and everything about their family history. Maybe you're all ready to try a bit of chocolate again. Um, I know I'm going home now to sample that bit. And you'll know that you can um, enjoy it almost guilt-free um, with the purest of chocolate from, from Neary Nogs. Remember to keep getting all of your news from Arma Eye and I hope you join us next time for our podcast. From the... I don't know what to say. I'm just speechless. To the... I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We see all sorts of life-changing moments at McKinney competitions. How would you react? Cars, houses, tech bundles and more. From just £2 a ticket. No purchase necessary. For competitions, rules and conditions, see mckinneycompetitions.com.